0: Being at church is a pretty amazing blessing, and I don't know how much we like think about that and realize that. Some people, they do. They're just like, I can't wait for Sunday. I want to be there, and that's awesome. Others of us, it's like, oh, yeah, we got to do that. Um, There's a whole spectrum there, but I want you to know that being able to be here in person with your brothers and sisters on Sunday mornings, you only have so many Sunday mornings in your life before you meet the Lord, and this is the place where you get to do the thing that is very hard to do outside of this place, which is that really strong corporate worship with the body that you've been called to and corporate studying of the Word. And so um, you know, we're, we're coming out of summer now. School's about to start, except I think the teachers are going to strike again. Um, so, I mean, get to work, right? I mean, they have the whole summer off, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm not making statements about that. I hope they all make a million dollars. My wife's a teacher, so... Um, but anyway, you know we're back into the school year, and, and I'm hoping that, that folks will, will be focused as we move from here into celebrating the incarnation of Christ at Christmas, of being here. Those of you who are online, we love you too. We're glad that you're here uh, with us online this morning or whenever you watch this. Um, but man, it is just a blessing. I was just thinking about this morning, what a blessing it is to be here, to be here together. So we have, we got a lot of work to do today. Um, We have been working through the teachings uh, laid out in the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit inspiring the Apostle Paul to write an epistle, a letter to the Romans, um, and we've studied sort of the elegance of the scripture and the way it comes together within the book of Romans and in the scripture all together because we've been working towards and into and out of and back through kind of Romans chapter nine. And one of the reasons that we've been doing that is because it is for some people sort of a divisive chapter of scripture. Um, But I don't really care about that because we don't have a lot of divisive people around here. Instead, I think it's just a really important thing to understand because God is laying out so many things about who he is and about how much we can trust him through that. And so we've been sort of going uh, through it and then we kind of went all the way back through chapter eight or or portion of chapter eight to try to come into nine with a good context. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to just do a kind of a quick hit from Romans one through eight into nine and then start working chapter nine um, in the context of what we've gotten through from chapters one through eight. Uh, So you have to remember, going all the way back to the beginning, that Romans, the Roman church, was a church that had both Jews and Gentiles, right? So Paul had gone... Um, to a lot of places, and, and, and usually he would start in the synagogue. He didn't start the church in Rome. Uh, that church did not start by Paul's ministry, but it, where he would go, he'd go to the synagogue, certain amount of Jews would come, but then a bunch of Gentiles would come in. So it would be primarily these big Gentile churches in all these places. But what happened in Rome was actually it was Jews, most likely, that went back after Pentecost and started the church, and then the Jews all got kicked out of Rome because... Racism, right? They were not happy with the Jews, and so they got blamed for something or other, and, I, and they got removed from Rome. So what happened was the Gentiles then took over the church in Rome, and it became a Gentile church. Well, then the Jews were allowed to come back to Rome, and they came back, of course, to the church, and now they've got this church that was theirs and had a very Jewish flavor to it that now has a very Gentile flavor to it, and they're all trying to live together, sort of in this thing uh, where the Jews are like, well, but we are Jewish, right? Like we do, we are the children of the promise. So I'm not saying that's more important than that, but you are just a, you know, a Gentile. Uh, you know, and the Gentiles are like, I'm not sure that's how it works, right? And then they're having this whole thing going on, right? And you understand it because this is how uh, the, the Israelites had grown up with this idea and the Gentiles are, so you have that backdrop against this whole thing. So Paul's working the, the plan of God for these people to understand both Jew and Gentile. We start in chapter 1, Romans verse, uh, before I say this, there's Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one of those at home, take the Bible home with you. If your Bible is broken, it's not working, because if you haven't read it for a while, it's probably broken. So take one of these. It'll help spark it. We want you to have the Word of God at home. We want you to read the Word of God. We want you to check everything that I or anybody else, any of the pastors or, or elders, whoever who preaches, check out what we say right there in the Bible. That's, the, that's where you check, right? It's not us. It's the scripture. So have one of those. Take it home. We want you to have that with you. That is free if you don't have a Bible. Take that home. You can use those. You can use your phone. It'll be on the screen. Some of it will be on this screen. So we've got a lot of Bible for you to read. Let's get into it. Romans 1, verses 16 through 17, and we sort of see this boop. There we go. Um, We sort of see what's going on here. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, okay? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a second. For everyone is automatically sort of a pushback on the Jewish folks who have seen themselves as the people of promise, right? And so you either, back in these days, you had two ways of being saved. You were Jewish, born, and then you know d- did the Jewish thing, or you proselytized to Judaism. For the guys, that could be someone uncomfortable. I'm not going to go into the medical procedure. There's a whole thing that went on there. Uh, for the girls, a little more comfortable probably, but they would proselytize in and then become Jews. That's how it worked. So they were actually Jews. They became Jewish people. Now we have something different to everyone who what who believes, and this is huge because Paul is. I mean, this is this is gigantic because the whole. Next bunch of chapters, are this is ringing out through them. How do you become saved? Believing, right? The, the Jews, remember, they got the Torah, they got the law, they got all this stuff. We do the thing, we do the thing, you do the thing. That's how we are right with God. We do the thing, we do the sacrifice, we do the thing. But no, he's saying no. It's salvation for everyone who believes. And then he lays it out for the Jew first. And also for the Greek or the Gentile. For the Jew first, why? Because the promises came for the Jews. The scripture, the Jews had the scripture. At that time, the Old Testament was the scripture. They had it, so to them first. It came to you first, but it's also for the Greek. For what? To believe, okay? For righteousness, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This, faith, this is the key point that Paul is gonna keep pushing back to draw the Jew and Gentile together. Faith, faith. What's faith about? And we'll get into it. For the just shall live by faith. Who? The just, the justified. Those who are right with God are right with God because of faith, right? By grace through faith, not for any other reason. All right, so that's that's where we're setting up. Out of chapter one, here we go. It's it's this, this gospel idea And yes, Jews first, but then Gentiles, but it's about belief, faith. That's what it's about, okay? He walks into it, and then what he does is he starts nailing them one at a time. He starts getting into why why they need to do it the way that they need to do it, okay? And how he does that is he starts in Romans 1, just a couple verses later, we get into Romans 1, 18, going on. We're going to look through 18 through 20 here. And it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness And unrighteousness of men. Why? This is important. Because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, why is this, why am I saying this? Because when we get to Romans 9, there's gonna be this kind of like hammer hit where Paul's gonna ask this question, this rhetorical question, about well, how can God judge us or how can He hold us accountable if His will is that no one, can, no one can go against his will, right? So if no one can go against his will, why are we still accountable? That's the gist. I'm giving you the message version of that verse because I'm not reading it right out of the thing. The message is a Bible sort of that kind of is flowery. It has like recipes in it or something. I don't know. It's a different thing. Anyway, he's basically saying, look, if no one can resist his will, why, why is anybody responsible? Now, if you haven't looked at the rest of Romans, it's going to be like, whoa, that is a really good question. Because God is talking about in Romans 9 how he's choosing this and he was choosing that, and whatever. But here we have something very clear. What are the men doing? They are suppressing the truth in our righteousness. That's clearly a choice that men and women are making. Not just about men. This is men means men and women. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, it's evident in them. Why? God has shown it to them. So what's what he's saying? Hey, this is to the Gentiles, by the way. Okay. The Jews, right now, as they're reading this part of the, uh, of the letter, they're like, that's how Gentiles are, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That's why we don't like to touch them. And that was a thing, too. But anyway, it's saying, listen, these, these people, men and women, they're suppressing the truth and righteousness. They're choosing to do that. They're choosing to do that. And so it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are seen. Well, how are invisible attributes seen? Well, it says because they're understood by the things that are made. What God has created has shown who he is. And you have to be suppressing the truth in unrighteousness to not see that. Now, this is really important these days, because what you get if you watch the Discovery Channel is a lot of conjecture about science, the more of the religion of science than what science actually is, which is like, I put water on this thing and I heated it up and it started making bubbles at this temperature. That's science, right? When you go, I think a dinosaur looked like this and did this. And you go, why? Because I made a story, right? And so there's a whole thing going on here about people and what they have actually done. Tell that person I'm not here, whoever's calling. Oh, it's my dad. That's great. (laughs) All right, suppressing the truth and righteousness. How about suppress that ring in righteousness? Okay, everybody else, let's turn them off. All right. Anyway, so what's happening in science is you see this actual thing happening, where the clear evidence says something outside of natural processes are going on here. You look at the DNA molecule, okay, and and it's and it is clear that somebody designed all the way down every single living thing. Plants, animals, vegetables. He, he God even made vegetables. That wasn't because of sin. But the uh, no. all these things, God has, has worked them through. And so what he's saying is, look, you, now, they, didn't even, they couldn't see that when this was written. They didn't know about DNA. okay, But they knew about the stars, and they knew about the sun, and they knew about the moon, and they knew about the water cycle. They knew actually a lot back then. That science was, was relatively advanced in terms of the natural sciences. What they didn't have as much was sort of the biological stuff, which they also didn't have when, say, Darwin was around. He didn't know what a cell was. They could see that it was a little globule. He didn't know that it was one of the most fascinating machines on Earth. But as these things have been found out, what you see scientists do is they will say, you'll even see them say sometimes, this appears to be <clears throat> Supernatural. But, since we know that can't be true, it must be this other thing. If you're wondering what suppressing the truth and righteousness looks like, that's what it looks like. That's unrighteousness. That's saying, I can see the evidence is mounting that God has shown himself his eternal power and his Godhead, his deity, that he's God. He's shown them all of that, and they have rejected it. Now, the reason he brings the creation of the world up here. And not because he showed you in the Bible. is because the Gentiles were not the ones with the scripture. The Jews had that. That's one of the ways you know he's talking to Gentiles here. He's saying God showed them everything they needed to know. To know who he was. That he was real. That he was the rewarder of the just. And the punisher of the unjust. All of these things. Everything was there for them to see. But they continually suppressed it. And of course what the Gentiles did was. They started going. Oh the sun. Let's worship that. I'll make a figure and. We'll bow down to it and whatever, and then maybe the sun will bring us crops. And it's like, but, but that doesn't make any sense. But it was easier than actually submitting themselves to God. So they did that. So what, what was the thing that came out of that? They are without excuse. This is huge. You can't get the book of Romans without starting here. This is like point one that you have to know in the gospel. They are without excuse. That means that they did something that they're responsible for, that God is holding them accountable for, that he didn't make them do. They did it themselves. Because if he made them do it, what would that be called? An excuse. That would be a pretty good excuse. Well, you made me do it well, I, I, you, I, you're still in trouble. No, that's not how God is. Nothing about his character shows us that in any of the scriptures. So what he's saying here there without excuse. There you go. Gentiles, without excuse. Jews are like, yep, we have always agreed with that. Paul, you're doing good so far. That's, that's good until we get to chapter two and we get into the very first verse and then he, Paul goes like this. Therefore you, and by the way, Jewish person, whoop, Jewish man and woman, that's you, just so you know, are what? Inexcusable. Whoa, hang on. I get the Gentiles are without excuse. Now you're saying I'm inexcusable? And he goes on, oh man, whoever you are who judge, for whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge, what? Practice the same things. What? We don't worship idols. We don't do that kind of stuff. And yet they also suppress the truth and unrighteousness by doing evil, knowing what is good. And they had the scriptures. So he lays it flat. Gentile, first it's salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first and then the Gentile. And then here's why you need it. Gentiles without excuse. And if you read 18 through 32, there's a whole list of stuff that's going on there. And then he puts it all back on the Jewish people too and says, you guys do this too. All people do this. All people do this. So they go, well, then what's the point? Right, chapter three, we have this kind of, well, what's the point of being Jewish then? Is there any benefit at all? And he goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, all kinds of benefit. You were given the oracles of God, the scripture. You were the children of the promise. You, had, you got to grow up in the people that God chose. Your ancestors got to see the Red Sea get split. And Moses lead and God lead in, in, in a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud and in fire, and, and got to go through, and, and, uh, and, and David and Solomon and all these things. You guys got all of that. So there is a benefit to it. There's a benefit to it. But then we go into this, chapter three. We're going to we'll go through this. There's a few verses here, so let's get into it. So what then? Are we better than them? Because he went and told them why there was a benefit to it. And he goes, oh, Okay. So are we better than them? And then unfortunately for the folks, it's no, not at all. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. This all, this becomes incredibly important. All, and, this, and this chapter is just going to work that, work that, work that. everyone is under sin. So we're, we're moving through Romans, and he's given us a couple things. Hey, the gospel is about faith. It's about belief. The Gentiles, all kinds of messed up. The Jews, all kinds of messed up. Well, then what's the point? Well, the point is you had all this stuff. But when it comes to justification before God, you don't get it because who your daddy was. It's a very important thing that's going on here. And so he continues on. As, as it is written, there is none. I want you to check out. People tell me, Pastor John, the executive pastor, will say this too. I don't want to use words like all and none and never and whatever. And you're right. Normally, you shouldn't do it. Except that God does it here a lot. So we might want to listen to what he's saying. There's none righteous. No, in case you didn't get it the first time, not one. It's like defining that thing. None means no, not one. All right, we got that. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. Again, no, not one. All right, if you're wondering what God thinks (laughs) about whether you've done good, about whether you're justified, about whether you have done the right things, that, you know, the old, well, are you going to heaven or hell? Well, I've been a good person. Ah! Right? Just straight up. God's just like, if you think that, you have not listened to anything that I've said, and you are just deluded. Because not only are you not a good person, no one has ever been except Jesus Christ. No one has. There are none. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. Anybody practice deceit in the room? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. I already know you all have. <laughs> the poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing. Anybody done that? Who drove here today? Okay. And bitterness. <laughs> their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. and the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay? This is mankind. This is the way we act. If I watch the news and read what I just read, I'm like, yep, yep, checkbox, checkbox, shedding blood, sweat, deceit, every, I mean, just watch any politician with the deceit, you just keep going, right? All these things, this is what it's like, this is what the world is like. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that why? Every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. This is extremely important. People have to understand You've got nothing to say to defend yourself. Nothing to say. You can't be, but I helped the old lady across the street. Okay, great. But that's not going to do it. That's not going to overcome your rebellion and your sin. Okay? By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, this is really important, because if I'm a Jewish person... I'm saying, I keep the law, right? Paul goes into it at a certain point where he's like, hey, if we want to talk that way, let me give you my resume, right? Where you know, he's born, this Jewish guy, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee of Pharisees, taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He goes on and on and on. If you, if you want to talk about, and I kept perfect in the law, all of these things that Paul's done, he's like, and that's nothing. That's nothing. It does nothing for me. But this is hard when your entire culture has been, hey, you're chosen, you're separate, we follow these rules, that makes you good, and it makes you better than other people, and this is the benefit that you have for being a Jew. And he says, no, listen, the, 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 the deeds of the law are not going to justify anybody. Nobody. The law just tells you that you're sinful. That's how you know. Because like, oh, that's the law? Yeah, I don't do that. What about this? Nope, I don't do that either. So that's how you know that you're sinful. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets here is talking about the scripture. Even the righteousness of God, what? And here we hit it, through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Who's it to? We're going back to these never, always, none, to all, and on all, who believe. This is fundamental. When you're talking to people, if you're online now, you're in here today and you're, you're checking it out. Praise God that you're here. We love to have you here. Here's the thing. If, if you have been under the impression, because the world also sort of thinks like a first century Jewish person might have thought, that you can do certain things and that makes you good. And that of course, God's going to recognize your goodness. And there's nothing that could be further from the truth. You are not good. You are not good. I am not good in myself. Not good. The only thing is faith in Jesus Christ to all and on the whole who believe. That's it. And then he says this one, which which they don't like, because they've been brought up thinking we're different. But he says, for there is no difference. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The good news comes after being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, well, it looks like I crossed out. Jesus, that's not good. I don't even know how to erase that. Anyway, all right. So everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. And everyone who believes and has faith in Jesus Christ will be justified freely. A free gift of grace. He's laying it out. Jew, Gentile, everyone is in the sin boat. Okay? And when that boat goes down, the people who don't drown are going to be the people who trusted in Jesus. And no one will be in that place because they are of the seed of Jacob. That is not the thing, being of the physical seed of Jacob. Okay? He goes on whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, that means that he was patient, forbearing. God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Once again, he's, he's been waiting. He didn't just zap you. The first time, you know, probably what? I mean, I was probably days old, me, personally. You guys probably made it a few years before you're like, no. God could have just been like, that's it. You would have been justified in doing so. You, you have made yourself a sinner, and he has every right to end it. But instead, he had forbearance that he might in this time bring Jesus Christ to save us. That he die and that he rise again so that those who, again have faith in Jesus, can be saved. So that's, that's where we are by, by chapter three. Chapter four, we, we go a little bit deeper. And again, he's speaking to the Jewish folks to help them understand. So let's look at verses 13 through 18. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world. This is to Abraham, okay? So they're like, okay, but Abraham, right? We are the children of Abraham, and he goes, the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Now, this is going to blow the minds of people who that's exactly what they think. That's exactly what they can, they can put you back genealogies. I'm the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so who's the son of Bill, the son of Jimmy. Those weren't their names. But you know what I'm saying. He goes back and back and back, and they can trace their way back to Jacob Right? To Isaac, to Abraham, that was the whole thing. That's the thing. And then he says, that's not what it's about. It's not about his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And it's like, wait a second. What's the point of the seed thing then? And he goes on and tells us, right? If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. Where there, is, where there is no law, there is no transgression. So he's saying, look, if it's about the law, you've got a big problem. If, if it's about you've, you've come down from the seed of Abraham and follow the law, the problem is you don't follow the law. So all the law does is shows that you're a transgressor. How does that help you? That's not the way that you're getting saved. You're not getting saved because you're in Abraham physically because that you already messed up by breaking the law. So it goes on, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham. So this is the big thing in chapter four, as he works through this, right? And he says, listen, it's about grace, because grace you can actually be sure of. What you can never be sure of, which actually the only thing you can be sure of about your own self and the law is death. But grace you can be sure of, because that comes from God. God provides grace, right? Faith and grace is something that you can actually hope in. If you have to hope in yourself that you can keep the law, you're in big trouble. And so he's trying to help them. Do you see this, folks? Do you, do you see this is what he's saying to the, to the Jewish folks here. Do you understand that if you want to rely on that, you got nothing? But Abraham wasn't the father just of people, Right? through having kids who had kids who had kids, he was the father of faith. Abraham is the father of us all. Well, how? We're not all Jews. We're not all Jews. How is he the father of us all? Well, I have made you the father of many nations. How? How is he the father of many nations? In the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, this is why, listen, in hope believed Believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your sins be. What shall the descendants be? People who believed. This is it. This This is the important part about Abraham. Do not glory in your in coming down as the physical seed of Abraham, glory in that he is the father of faith and that you're children of faith. That's how you became children of God because you followed the faith of Abraham. How was he the father of many nations? Well, he didn't have all those nations come from his body. He was the one who was chosen by God to bring faith. That we follow Abraham, we are children of Abraham, therefore children of God, when we show faith and belief. He's making this point. He continues in chapter 5, Let's do verses 1 through 8. Therefore, okay. after all that stuff that we just talked about, having been justified by faith, we got that down by now, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access, what? By faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Why can you be hopeful? Why can you rejoice? Why, why can you feel good about the future? Because your faith and his grace work together, right, so that he can work in you. Faith is not at work, by the way. Faith is a gift that God gives you. And when you have faith and you believe, You get the grace, and now you can hope. You can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. As we're singing today, you are doing that. You're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, that you will see it, that you will be in his presence. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. This is people's favorite part, right? He goes, oh, this is so good. Glory of God? Yeah, this is going to be so great. And then he goes and say, "And we also glory in tribulations." And people go, "I thought this was the health and wealth church. This doesn't work for me, right? This is not, by the way, that. Or we wouldn't read stuff like this. We also glory in tribulations. We are, we've already been told." It's gonna happen. Jesus told us, the Holy Spirit, right, working through Paul, inspiring Paul tells us, it's just very obvious it's gonna happen. Why is this good? Why do we glory in it? Because we know that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. How do you strengthen the hope so that when it's hard, you still have hope? We can have hope. You feel good, your, your body feels good, you had a good week, you come into church, it's just the song you wanted to hear, and man, the hope is alive but what about when you're in agonizing pain? What about when the anxiety or the depression is is coming after you? What about when somebody in your family dies? What about when you break your ankle, which like half of our church has done in the last two months? What do you do? Where's, Where's the hope then? Well, you had to build it by building character. You know what the character came through though? Other tribulations. So you look at the tribulations and you go, they're probably going to get worse because <laughs> they're building you the character to have hope in even worse ones. And you know what? It's okay. That's the point. You live in a fallen world. But we're not of this world. We're in it. We're not of it. We can have this hope. And as we go through tribulation, it actually builds us. Okay? Now, hope does not disappoint. You got to believe that. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You have the Holy Spirit. He will pour out the love of God in your heart. As, as much as you will sow to the Spirit, you will receive the love of God in your heart. And then some of you go, Well, that's, that's a, I don't really get that feeling all the time. It's not necessarily a feeling, it's knowledge, it's an understanding. It's a belief. It's trusting in the scripture. Who gives me the ability to trust him? Who gives me the ability to get up in the morning? The Holy Spirit. Certainly who gives me the ability to preach the the, the word of God? The Holy Spirit. He's the one who's doing all of that, and we have him. And here's the thing. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Like, you find somebody, and they're just the best. Occasionally, maybe you would get a person who's like, I'll die for that person. Pretty scarcely in our experience. Yet perhaps for a good one, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe you would die for a really good person, but if you go out on the street and you find a drug addict, pedophile, just think the worst possible person, out on the street, are you likely to jump in front of a bullet for that person? Probably not. You think, probably better off dead. The murderer on death row, you're not putting yourself in that guy's place. Who's, who's volunteering? Who's headed to the, to the prison? I think they kill people in Texas like every other day. So who's going down there? And like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. No, you're like, they, they murdered somebody. This is the thing, right? But Jesus, that's exactly what he did. He took a bunch of people who were on death row because they were sinners. We've already gone through it in chapters 1 and chapter 2, without excuse, that whole thing, and it was those people at that time that when he came in and died for us. You've got to understand that when you think about yourself and you don't think about chapter 1 and what he's saying about suppress the truth and the righteousness and how, and how broken we are, then you can read this and be like, yeah, he did die for me while I was still a sinner, but I wasn't really that bad of a sinner. Nope. No, you were not in a position that is any better than the worst person that you know. Sin separates from God. He stepped in for us while we were sinners. That's mind-blowing. Every other religion, you had to earn your way. He doesn't step, the gods of other religions, so-called gods of so-called religions, they don't step in for people who are bad get good, and then maybe get in. That's sort of the whole thing. And Christianity is like the total opposite. You can't be good. Don't bother trying through that door. It's not open. Instead, faith in Christ, believing him, and grace is what saves you. It's a very different thing than the average religion of the world. So, we're getting there. Chapter 6, we're taught that that the scriptures tell us very clearly that we are slaves to sin without Christ. Slaves to sin. And that we have new life in Christ and are no longer slaves to sin. So here we go. But God be thanked that though you were, it's an important word, were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, teaching, which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, You became slaves of righteousness. You got your choice in the world, slave of sin, slave of righteousness. You can do one or the other, right? That's the thing. Christ will make you a slave of righteousness, which is a good thing. Sounds like, well, I don't know if I want to be a slave either way. Slave of righteousness, real good, real good. You're doing real good if you're a slave of righteousness, okay? But you were a slave of sin. This is very important to understand that, like, you were in a place because of the fallenness of the world and the brokenness of your body and the evil desires that we have, right? James goes into this. Each one is tempted woman by his own evil desires. He's dragged away enticed. That's what we do. And he's like, you're a slave to that. Have you ever been an addict or you know any addicts? They enslave themselves to this thing. It's always body stuff, right? It's always body. And you're a slave to it. He says, look, but in Christ, you're no longer that. You're no longer that. And then in 7, he says, okay, well, what about the fact that I still sort of struggle with it, with the sin thing in my body? And he goes into it. I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So he wants to do good, but evil is present. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members. This is my body, okay? see another law in my body, right, which is part of the fallen world, which has not yet been glorified. Warring. Against the law of my mind. Okay, so you think body, soul, spirit. Like my mind, that's, that's sort of this soul, right? Mind is like soul. It's like I'm deciding whether to give to body or to soul to spirit. And he's saying there's this war happening in my mind, in my soul, in the place of my will, in my decision making. Will I will to the flesh or will I will to the body? And there's this fight going on. He's, he's bringing this up bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So the body, the law of sin, was reigning in the body. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself through so the law of God, boy, the flesh, the law of sin. And then we get into Romans 8, and he knocks it all out. But you, this is Romans 8, 9 through 14, but you, this is Christ followers, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You do. If you're a Christ follower, you have the Spirit of Christ. If you're not a Christ follower, you're not his. Anybody who goes around with the sort of Jesus my homeboy type thing, but does not believe, has not confessed, Jesus is not Lord of their life, they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, they say whatever, that is not getting you the Spirit of Christ. That is not getting you the Holy Spirit in your life. And there are people all over. There are churches now that proclaim a false gospel. There always have been, but here at the end of the age, the apostasy is amazing, horrible. There are churches now that, that preach a Christ. I'm not just talking about the cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so on. I'm talking about churches that preach a Christ that is not Christ. And they do not have the spirit of Christ in that. If they have not been saved the way everyone else gets saved, by like confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's how we get saved. If that's not how they get saved. They don't have the spirit of Christ. So he's warning those. But if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. For the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what he's saying is this, oh, this body of death. I'm warring. I'm warring. And he says, here's how you win the war. The spirit, the same God, the same power, that raised Jesus from the dead, you have to fight that war. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you have access to that power in the war of the body of death against the spirit. Guess what? If you are living in the spirit, you win. That that power that raised Christ from the dead is much more, much stronger than your dead body living in a dead world. And so we make our bodies do what he's called us to do. And we'll get into that more when we get into the 12th chapter of Romans, right? Make your body a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable service. You have to understand, we are saying at the place in our mind, we're saying, we live to the spirit. I have the power of of God in my life, working in my life. He's working in my life with the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. And so I can defeat the body of death. I don't have to say, oh, wretched man, because I'm not a wretched man, because the body is dead to sin. And I'm no longer a slave to it, and I have the power of God. So he works us through all of that. Then we went into the stuff that we've done for the last couple of weeks, right? Which I'll read to you really quickly, sort of the quick points. We received the spirit of adoption, right? Actually, let me finish this one because it actually gets us to that point. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, Live according to the flesh; for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Same thing that we were just saying. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. This is big because this leads straight in to what we were just talking about the last couple weeks, right? And this is what it says: We receive the Spirit of adoption from God when we were saved and accepted in Christ. We are children of God, sons and daughters of God. If we're children of God, then we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We will suffer with Him because we're His. And also be glorified together with him. Our sufferings now cannot be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. All of these things are the things that are the rest of Romans 8. Creation is broken because of sin. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, which means we have real hope. We are waiting in hope for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We wait with perseverance through pain because of our hope. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. I apologize for ripping through this, but we're getting late here. God foreknew and predestined those who would be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ, so that Christ would be the firstborn of many. Christ's resurrection is your hope of resurrection, right? God called those he predestined, he justified and glorified those he predestined. God is our Abba, our Father, and because of that, no one can be successful against us. God will give us all things. God has justified us so that no charge can be brought against us. Christ died and rose from the dead and is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding just as the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with the Father. And then, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and nothing can separate us from his love. That was the rest of Romans 8. Just lay in this, I mean, just like the power punch of who you are in Christ, and you have nothing to be worried about, nothing to fear, because you cannot be separated from Christ. Then Paul goes right here at the beginning of nine. This is, how you, this is the connection material, right there, chapter nine, verse one. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ. Now, what did he just say? He can't be. He can't be. Nothing could separate us from the love of God. Interestingly, I would say that he's saying, not even myself. Nothing. Not height, not death, nor angels, nor demons, certainly not people, not sword, not peril, not famine. Nothing. Nothing separating from the love of God. So he said, I, that can't happen. That cannot happen. But I'm sad. I am broken up for my countrymen, my brethren, according to the, f- the flesh, the Jews, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption. Did we just read about that? Yeah. What did we just talk about? We're adopted when we're in Christ. They had an adoption that was different, the physical adoption, the I am a person of the Israelites' That adoption they had, but the adoption was in Christ. It's different. The glory, the covenants. This is the covenants between God and the Israelites. The giving of the law. This is the scriptures, right? The service of God. They served in the temple, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who was over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. All right. Eleven twenty-one already. He's going back. In chapter 9, after coming out of chapter 8 with all this stuff about who you are in Christ and as a Christ follower and so on, he's going back in chapter 9 to then fit, sort of finally fit this Jewish-Gentile issue together. And And to give his final thing to the Jewish believers so that they can understand this whole thing he's been saying about faith and not law. Faith and not law. He's working that through right here. That's what this is about and unfortunately, it's 11:22, and we have to stop. But next week, on Acts Church ser- sermons, we're going to, Lord willing, hopefully get through the whole rest of the chapter of chapter nine, um, and possibly, depending on time, I may give my um, sort of uh, primer on Calvinism, Arminianism, and Correctism, which is what I think. So um, we, may, we may get a chance to do that next week. It may take a couple weeks. Either way, that's the thing with studying the scriptures, right? It takes time. It takes work. Here's, here's what I want you to know today. Here's what's important to me. That you understand that it is by grace that you're saved and that you do not live a life of regret and shame. Satan wants that for you. He wants that for you because the idea that you have screwed up and therefore you're not not good enough. God doesn't really love you. He'd like you more if you were better, all that kind of stuff. It's not true. Yes, you've screwed up. Yep. You have, even as a Christ follower, without a doubt, sometimes sowed to the flesh instead of to the spirit and ended up in some of the same sins that you were probably in before you were in Christ. It's happened. certainly happened to me. It's probably happened to you. That's the reality, but you need to understand that it is by grace that you are saved. And that if you will confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I had conviction in my heart about some things right when we were, when we were worshiping. It's a time sometimes where you can get that conviction just like during preaching, just like anytime. When you're focused on God, he can show you some things. And my response is, Lord, forgive me. And, and his response is, it's done. Finished. It's done. You're forgiven. Let's move forward. And that's who you can be and where you can be. And Paul is just hammering it and hammering it and hammering it. I don't care if you are a child of Abraham. I'm sure there's some, I've got some, some Jewish blood in me. You know, we got some, some people who are Jewish, some people who are Gentiles. That's not a thing. That's important in terms of salvation. In terms of salvation, it's about you, the grace of God working in the faith that he's given you. And if you have that, you do not have to live in shame and you do not have to live in fear. And we live in a lot of both of that. And if Satan can sideline Christians by keeping them sort of in shame, keeping them sort of in fear and and not experiencing the joy and the hope of the grace of God, not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. If we're not getting that, we're not experiencing that, We're not enjoying that. We're distracted. We're doing other things. And of course, we're not going to see the seats of this church filled up with new believers excited about being in Christ. Because we're not going to have the energy in ourselves to bring that to them. You've got to live in the grace. If you want to make other people excited about the grace of God that is out there for them. And there are so many people dying right now. Dead, spiritually dead, walking around like zombies. Don't even care who can only be made to care because what they see in you is Jesus Christ, because he can make people care. So as you go around with the aroma of life to some and death to others, that's that's the reality, but it is the aroma of life to some who are being drawn towards God. And so live in it. Live in it.